Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. One of the many interesting things I found was how used to being sleep deprived I got to the point where I didn't really even notice anymore how sleep deprived I was. But when you are sleep deprived, you can be the equivalent to being drunk. And so you're making all of these crucial decisions and doing all of these things that are so important. And you're essentially hammered the whole time. And you don't really realize how, you know, how clouded your judgment is and how uh, bad physically you feel until suddenly you start feeling better and you think, oh God, this is how I was supposed to feel the whole time. Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dovniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast. Chris here. And when I surveyed all of you at the end of the year and asked you all what you wanted to hear more on, one of the most responded to questions was when I asked if you guys wanted to hear more about sleep health. And so I am so thrilled for today's guest, Diane Macedo. We are talking all about sleep and not just the general advice to get more sleep. We all know that most of us could get more sleep, but we're talking about what to do if you have issues with your sleep. What happens if you're trying to sleep more, but you have issues falling asleep? Or maybe you are sleeping, but you still feel tired and you aren't feeling great and you really want to improve this area because you know that sleeping well is going to help you show up as a more healthy, balanced mom. We all know how important sleep is for our health and the general advice to just get more isn't always the answer. So Diane has an incredible book that just released, The Sleep Fix, and she helps you to identify what might be plaguing you when it comes to sleep issues and how to get to the root cause of those sleep issues and how to start creating some really practical solutions for those sleep issues depending on what they are. She has a really individualized approach that she recommends within the book. Everything is backed by a ton of research and her own anecdotal experience with having sleep issues as a news anchor for many years. And she's also a busy mom as well. So she relates to all of us as busy moms. And she knows that sometimes we're going to go through periods of time where we're just not getting as much or as good sleep as we can. And she gives us solutions for that too. It was just an incredible interview. I had such a good time talking to her. I had a great time reading her book. As I share in the interview, I was up to like the very last chapter just because of the busyness of the holidays. And I, I can't wait to go back and to read more and 
to highlight and to really get to the root of my own sleep issues and so I can start having better sleep in 2022. So I know you're all going to get so much from this interview. For those of you who don't yet know Diane, Diane Macedo is currently an anchor and correspondent for ABC News, appearing on Good Morning America, World News Tonight, Nightline, World News Now, and America This Morning, as well as breaking news reports. She's also an anchor for ABC News Live, where she hosts ABC News Live Update, The Breakdown, and covers breaking news and special events. An alum of Boston College, she lives in New York City with her family. So without further ado, let's dive in to talking all things sleep. Welcome, Diane. I am so excited to have you on the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. I know this is a topic my listeners are going to appreciate so much. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm so glad to be talking to all the other mamas out there who are trying to juggle so much, just like I am. I I am you. I relate completely, and we also deserve great sleep, so let's do it. Yes, we definitely do. And most of us, I think, I mean, I'm speaking for the general public of moms, but a lot of us don't get enough or don't get good enough sleep. So I know your advice is going to be so great. Um, but before we kind of dive into the, the meat of our interview, I love to do just a fun little icebreaker to start off. So what are you reading these days, Diane? Oh, I finally took a break from reading stuff about sleep, which has been kind of my entire literary diet for four years now. Um, And I'm reading an interesting book called Invisible Women, which Mm -hmm. is all about how women historically have been kind of overlooked in all these small ways that we don't necessarily think of, but have big impacts. So for example, a lot of furniture is sort of designed for the average adult male. And that means that we are often sitting in chairs. Women are often sitting in chairs that are too tall for us, too large for us. And that affects you know, our orthopedic health, uh, equipment that is used at work is often designed for the average adult male. And so there has been a severe decrease in male injuries over the decades that work safety has become a bigger issue, but not in female injuries, because Mm -hmm. I I think we don't realize the, a lot of the equipment is designed to suit the male body. And I mean, there are tons of statistics, medical research, and even in sleep, this came up as an issue um, that that I encountered, that there is a huge lack of female representation in a lot of medical research in general, but also as it pertains to sleep. So uh, it's been a really interesting read. It's not necessarily a feel good read because you, <laughs> we might all get a little ticked off as we learn more and more about, uh, you know, how we are often factored out of the process. Um, but it's been it's been an educational one and uh, and I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Well, I love a good educational book. <laughs> so that that sounds really incredible. I'd be really interested in reading that. So thank you for that suggestion. Sure. Honestly, this question is like really selfish. It's like, okay, what are, if you're, <laughs> I read your book and I loved your book. So what are you reading? What, oh, what can I read next? So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so we are going to talk about sleep, like we mentioned at the very beginning. And as someone who has personally struggled with falling asleep and staying asleep for most of my life, um, I can relate wholeheartedly with especially the story that you describe your own story in the introduction of your new book, The Sleep Fix. So I would love if we just kind of started there. For my listeners who might not know you yet, can you just kind of share share a little bit about who you are beyond your bio um, and share your story and where your passion for healthy sleep was born? Sure. Um, so I, um, let's see, a little bit about me beyond my bio. Um, well, the, the quick bio note is I'm an anchor and correspondent for ABC News, and I've worked in news for over well over a decade now. Um, I love to sing in my free time, and I haven't in a while, thanks to the pandemic, but I used to occasionally you know, throw together a cover band and sing at a bar. Back in the day, I was a wedding singer, um, and so that's kind of my, uh, my side passion in addition to writing books about sleep. Um, and, uh, I'm a mom of a beautiful three-year-old little boy and a three-month-old little girl. And so I'm currently at the tail end of my maternity leave and obviously have mixed feelings about that as I think most of us do. Um, and, uh, and that's it. I live in New York with my family and, uh, and my friends and I love, uh, community is probably the most important thing to me at the moment. Um, and, uh, and that's it, trying to keep the balance and keep all the plates spinning and, uh, and doing my best. 
Yeah, I I think everyone listening can relate to that because we're like, you know, 90% moms, keeping those plates spinning is hard. (laughs) And, you know, one of the things that is so hard is when we are feeling sleep deprived and we're feeling like we're just, we don't have the energy to do all the things that we want to do as moms. They play so many different roles, whether we are working moms or stay-at-home moms or some sort of a combination of the two, we have, we live busy lives and sleep is, sleep is difficult. So where did you kind of come from in your sleep journey and where are you now? So how did that kind of, you know, transformation to someone who I know that you share in your book about how much you struggled with sleep. Now you're a busy mom who's trying to deal with all of these, all of these demands on your time. So how, how did you get to the place you are now? Yeah. You know, and I think there's a key um, difference that a lot of people kind of merge into one, which is I, you know, I don't always get enough sleep now, particularly in the newborn phase with my daughter. Um, But I think the key difference is it's not that I'm now going to bed and I can't sleep. It's that I'm waking up because my daughter needs me. And those are two very different scenarios. You know, I think a lot of us lack sleep because we don't spend enough time in bed. And sometimes those reasons are inevitable and sometimes they aren't. And obviously if they aren't, then we can work on spending more time in bed and prioritizing sleep. But it's a whole other ball game when your problem is not that you don't spend enough time in bed, but that when you are in bed, you can't sleep either because you have trouble falling asleep, you have trouble staying asleep, and you have trouble going back to sleep. Um, and, and the solutions for that group of people are actually in many ways opposite to the person who just doesn't get enough sleep because they don't spend enough time in bed. And so that's part of the reason why I wanted to write this book, because when my problem started, and I, I now know that it was an issue with you know my biological clock and my strange work hours that I was essentially trying to sleep when my body still wanted to be awake. And I was trying to wake up when my body still wanted to be asleep. Uh, And we often think about that in terms of jet lag or in terms of uh, shift work. It's called a circadian rhythm disorder. And it sounds really, you know, complicated and official and like one of those things that probably only applies to a small group of people. But if you are, for example, a night owl who works an early shift or even just a normal shift, you are probably dealing with this every single day. If you are an extreme early bird who's working a normal shift or an evening shift, you are probably also dealing with this every single day. You know, so many of us are going through our days jet lagged every day, and that is interfering with our ability to sleep and our ability to feel awake and rested during the day. Um, And there are so many things we can do for that. And so that's kind of what started my sleep problems. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. And so I am a natural night owl. And when I started working in broadcast news, my hours switched when I was working kind of off screen behind the camera. uh, I worked a late shift, which was great for me. I went in at about noon. I left really late at night and that was fine for me. When I started working in TV, that hour schedule switched and suddenly I was going in at 3.30 in the morning And then when I left Fox for CBS, I was going in at 1.30 in the morning. And then when I left CBS for ABC, I was going in at 11 p.m. and working at or 10 p.m. and working a true overnight shift and coming home at around five or six in the morning. And the interesting part is that was actually kind of okay for me. It was the best sleep I've had in a while. But when I started then doing Good Morning America at the end of my shift, now I was coming home at more like 9 a.m., And trying to go to sleep at nine or 10 o'clock in the morning for me was torture. And I was also saying yes to lots of different things and, you know, working even in the middle of the day when I was supposed to be sleeping and so on. And that's kind of where I just lost the ability to sleep in many ways entirely and made all of the mistakes that I now know are mistakes. And I now know are very commonly made by insomniacs trying to fix their problem. And so I tried all kind of the typical sleep tips and that didn't work. I tried reading a lot about sleep kind of in your, again, typical magazine articles and popular books about sleep. But I just got reinforced with the message that if I didn't get eight hours, I was doomed. And that just made me more worried about my sleep, which made it harder for me to sleep. Um, eventually I started taking Ambien because I was so worried about what I was doing to my body by not sleeping enough. Uh, and that for a while was like magic. And then the Ambien stopped working and my doctor just kind of recommended that I take more Ambien. But I decided at that point that this was not the way forward for me. I needed to find a real solution to this. 
And so after getting screened for sleep apnea and ruling that out, I kind of just became a sleep nerd. And instead of reading, you know, the bestsellers on sleep and magazine articles and watching TV segments, I started reading textbooks about insomnia and other sleep disorders. And I started reading books written by clinicians who treat these problems. And in about three weeks, I went from sleeping on average, I don't know, maybe three hours-ish, four hours-ish a day to sleeping six and a half hours in the middle of the day while working the overnight shift, which to me was incredible. One, because I was constantly, anytime I sought out advice for how I could fix my sleep while still maintaining my job, which I loved, the answer I got, even from experts who I was speaking to at the time, were you'll have to quit your job. And I wasn't willing to do that. And I just kind of thought, well, a lot of people have to work overnights, right? Like sometimes you need surgery in the middle of the night. Is is every surgeon going to say, well, sorry, I don't work overnight. So you're going to have to wait until morning. Of course not, right? Babies are born overnight, et cetera. Um, so, um, so that, that kind of triggered in me this determination that I was going to find a, you know, a solution. Um, and then, and sure enough, I did in, in digging into these books, you know, things like, um, when we think about jet lag, for example, and we travel, right. We adjust to jet lag eventually. Why? Because of when we see light, when we see dark, when we eat, when we exercise, et cetera. And I just kind of thought, well, if we can do this when we have jet lag, then why couldn't we do the same when we have shift work? disorder and sort of let our bodies adjust the same way. And so a lot of those mechanisms, I kind of dug really deep into them and talked to experts who study that specifically and treat that specifically and got the answers that really work. And, you know, when I saw how effective they were with me, I just kind of thought, well, why isn't anybody talking about this stuff? Because it's so different from all the stuff I hear about over and over and over again and how to help your sleep. And so after talking with enough experts and reading enough, you know, books out there, I kind of decided that nobody really was. And so I wrote the book, you know, at the end, I wrote the book that I wish had existed when I was struggling. Yeah, I I 100% um, relate to the feeling of reading all the things that tell you that you're supposed to get eight hours of sleep. You're supposed to get really good quality sleep. You're supposed to do all these things for your health because, uh, you know, this is the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. Health is really important to me, but sleep has been a struggle for me as well. And so just that pressure of, I know I need to get eight hours. I know I need to get good sleep, but I don't know how. And all you keep telling me is that I need to do it. Um, I'm so glad you wrote this book because so much of it was so enlightening to me as well in terms of, you know, your discussion of different types of sleep issues. Because I think in my head, it was like you either have it, in my head, it was sort of like you either have trouble sleeping. So you're an insomniac or you have, which is a, such a huge blanket term. And there's so many different causes as you, mm-hmm. you know, as you go deep into in your book as well, or you have like sleep apnea and those are just two, you know, two issues that could present. Um, so I'm curious. So for the, the woman who's listening, who is very likely a mom and, you know, for those of us who are moms, I think we can recognize that those early days of parenting, those newborn days, those are really hard and we are not going to get enough sleep always. And that's okay. That's sort of a phase. But I think for a lot of moms, those sleep issues span far beyond those newborn days. And then we're stuck going, okay, I thought my body was supposed to adjust and it hasn't. So how do we know if our sleep issues are actually an issue? So what I guess what is your best piece of advice for starting to determine whether we actually have an issue or we just need to try to keep going to bed earlier and earlier. Well, it's funny you say that because that's one of the big mistakes is people trying to go to bed earlier and earlier. Um, And so one, I think you can, I think we often make the mistake of we get so used to being up with our newborns that once the baby goes to sleep, we then view that time as when we have to be productive (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) I think, think, you know, one, and this was in in my chapter about shift work, because I think it's so important for people who have to sleep during the day to remind themselves, but I'm going to group moms into that category too, that, you know, the first thing we have to do is choose sleep. We need to realize that we deserve it just as much as everybody else, even if it has to happen at a strange time of day. And that sleep is to be respected and protected just as much as anybody else's. Um, I think the other part is sometimes we get so used to quote unquote functioning on little sleep 
that then that becomes our bar. It's like, oh, well, I'm functioning, so I must be fine. Mm. And we don't just want to be surviving right now. We want to be thriving. And so, you know, ask yourself, am I really, am I doing well? Do I feel good? Do I feel rested? Is, am I, am I back to my normal amount of sleep, assuming that you felt your sleep was healthy before you had the baby? Or do you feel like you're just kind of skating by and learning how to function? Because the interesting thing, one of the many interesting things I found was how used to being sleep deprived I got to the point where I didn't really even notice anymore how sleep deprived I was. But when you are sleep deprived, you can be the equivalent to being drunk. Mm. And so you're making all of these crucial decisions and doing all of these things that are so important. And you're essentially hammered the whole time. And you don't really realize how, you know, how clouded your judgment is and how uh, bad physically you feel until suddenly you start feeling better. And you think, oh God, this is how I was supposed to feel the whole time. So I, I, I think the, the key there is how do you feel? It's not how many hours am I getting or what does my, you know, whoop say, or my fitness tracker say, or whatnot, but just pay attention to how do you feel? You know, during the day, do you feel like you need a nap? Are you really dragging all day? Now there are certain points of the day where our energy dips naturally, but if you spend all day feeling like you need a nap, if you, if you think, if you sat down on the couch to watch TV or just chill out, you would you know, you would doze off or whatnot, then that's a sign that you're not getting enough sleep. You know, if there's a random day or maybe on the weekends you can sleep in or something like that, and you find yourself sleeping way past your usual wake up time, or if you do have the opportunity to go bed early and you're kind of out as soon as the head hits the pillow and still struggling to wake up in the morning, you know, those are all signs that you're not getting enough sleep. And I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that we're somehow doing ourselves and our productivity a favor if we cut out a little bit of our sleep time to get something else done. But you'll find when you start sleeping well, because again, you're thinking more clearly, um, your brain just starts kind of firing on all cylinders in a way it doesn't when you're sleep deprived that you end up actually saving yourself time by spending that extra time asleep because you're able to do things. You get distracted less, you're able to focus more. And so you're just so much more productive in a short period of time. And you feel great. Oh my gosh. I'm nodding along with you going, oh, I know how important it is to get enough sleep. And so my my personal struggle tends to be that, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. Um, I want to kind of dig into our circadian rhythm or sleep drive, all that. But my struggle tends to be my kiddos are older now. I'm far beyond the newborn stage. They're four and eight. Um, so they actually have a good sleep schedule at this point, which is really nice. They go to bed pretty much the same time. They wake up pretty much the same time. Uh, even if they go to bed late, they wake up the same time, which is sort of annoying, but also convenient for school. <laughs> so my issue tends to be that um, I am a natural early bird. I wake up early pretty much no matter what. And and I love that morning time because that is kind of my time to myself before the busyness of the day starts, before I jump into either taking care of my kiddos or working, depending on what I'm doing that day. And uh, my husband is totally a night owl and he cannot wake up in the morning. He has such a hard time. He also has a hard time sleeping. So I'm passing your book on to him after I'm done with it. I'm done with like the last chapter. And uh, so he, but he likes to stay up late. And so I feel like it's either getting stuff done or just like hanging out with my husband. I feel like I have to stay up late and then I end up not getting enough sleep. And then of course I have the problems falling asleep. So then it's like, I'm getting to bed later. So for me, it's sort of this dual issue <laughs> of like wanting to get things done, wanting to hang out with my husband, going to bed a little bit too late and then having this issue of getting to sleep. And I feel like that is really common for a lot of the women that I talk to as well. It's like, this is my time after the kids go to bed. And, but, you know, we forget about how important sleep is to the way we feel on a day-to-day -day basis, the way we show up on a day-to-day -day basis, how productive mm -hmm. we are. All of that relates to, to our sleep and like the restorative, um, you know, how restorative sleep is for us and for our body. Um, so I kind of want to dive into some of this science of sleep. So the, the woman listening kind of has a little bit of an, like a little sneak peek of some of the things that you talk about in your book. And so you talk about these two main systems that we have when it comes to sleep. And I thought this was really interesting because I think I just thought of it as our circadian rhythm, but you talk about our sleep drive. So having this drive to sleep and then also our circadian rhythm. And so we could have, either, we could have issues with either of them, or we could have issues with both of them. So can you just kind of describe like, what is the difference between 
the drive to sleep and our circadian rhythm. And why does it matter? Yes. Um, so your sleep drive and the fancy term for this is your homeostatic sleep drive. Um, but I think sleep drive is easy enough. Um, so your, your sleep drive is very straightforward. I like to think of it like hunger. The longer you are awake, the more your sleep drive builds up. It's a chemical in the brain called adenosine that builds up in your brain throughout the day, as long as you're awake. And the more adenosine in your brain, the more sleepy you feel. And so the longer we're awake, the more sleepy, the more of this sleep drive we build up. The same way, the longer we go without eating, the more hungry we, hungry we feel. Then as we sleep, the adenosine dissipates. So the longer we sleep, our sleep drive then depletes the same way that if we eat, our hunger depletes. And the more we eat, the less hungry we feel. When you wake up in the morning, that process starts all over again. So you spend the whole day awake. Ideally, you spend the whole day awake, building up your sleep pressure. When nighttime comes, your sleep pressure, your sleep drive is nice and high. And then you go to sleep and you sleep a full night. And as you're sleeping the full night, that sleep drive dissipates. You wake up in the morning, your sleep drive is super low or non-existent, and you start the, the cycle again. Now, working in tandem with this, again, ideally in tandem with this, is your circadian rhythm, which is essentially your biological clock that sends you wake signals at certain times of the day, no matter whether or not you've slept. This is why even after a bad night, you will tend to feel more awake in the morning and you will tend to feel more sleepy in the evening and why some of us might experience a dip in the afternoon or a sudden surge in energy in the evening. You know, maybe you've been dragging a lot of the day and suddenly 6 p.m. hits and you're, you know, you, you feel like you're ready to go jogging or something. Um, all of that is because of your circadian rhythm. That's why we catch a second wind, um, et cetera. And that's why when we travel, we often have such a hard time or when we are working weird hours, you know, we have a hard time because even if we've been awake and our sleep drive is high, we're now trying to fall asleep when our body's getting those wake signals. And we're trying to wake up when our body is still sending us the it's nighttime, you know, sleep signals. And, uh, and so ideally you want both of those things to be working in tandem and, you know, in harmony with each other where, you are starting to, you know, reach the end of your day where your sleep drive is nice and high when your circadian rhythm starts to take a dip, you know, it's nightly dive. And so your circadian rhythm stays nice and low as you sleep. And then at some point, you know, during, as you hit morning time, your circadian rhythm starts to rise again at the same time that your sleep pressure has now dissipated. And so you wake up refreshed, getting those wake signals and with your sleep drive nice and low, and you start the whole process all over again. But if you are sleeping in misalignment with your circadian rhythm, you know, either because you're a night owl trying to wake up too early or because you are an early bird trying to stay up too late and so on, then you're going to have a hard time because one, either you're going to be getting those wake signals when you're trying to sleep, or you're going to be getting sleep signals when you're trying to wake up or usually both. And so that's, that's where you can hit, you know, you can hit a number of problems. And the hard part is, even scientists kind of debate whether a circadian rhythm disorder is insomnia or whether they're separate things. Often they will classify a circadian rhythm disorder as a type of insomnia. But I think it's easier to think of them in two separate categories, which some scientists also, you know, also will say, because they are created by two different problems and their solutions are different. And like I said, you can have problems with both, but you can often have just one or the other. So I like to separate these into two categories, but I was someone who had issues with both. I had both insomnia and a circadian rhythm disorder. Mm, yeah. It's so interesting. I, it makes sense to me in my head that they're separated too, because they have different causes and then there would be different treatments for them or not necessarily treatments either, but different solutions for them. Yeah. So and I yeah. should probably explain how insomnia factors into that, which I just realized I haven't, <laughs> I haven't done yet. Yeah. Go for it. Um, so the circadian rhythm disorder obviously has to do with the circadian rhythm part of the equation where your biological clock is sending you sleep and wake signals at, at the, in, at inconvenient times for you. Um, the insomnia sort of textbook insomnia works against the other part of the equation, which is your sleep drive where our, our sleep drive is fueled by time awake, super straightforward, but 
our wake drive, in addition to being fueled by our circadian rhythm, is also fueled by things like excitement, anxiety, stress, anything that sort of triggers that what, what's called arousal, you know, essentially your fight or flight response. And so what will often happen is if we are particularly stressed about something or excited about something, anxious about something, that will fuel our wake drive enough that our sleep drive now can't compete because our wake drive is so high. And I like to think of this like a sleep seesaw. You know, the only thing that happens in order for us to fall asleep at night is your sleep drive overpowers your wake drive. It tips your sleep seesaw into sleep territory because your sleep drive is heavy enough to do that. If your wake drive becomes heavy enough, it will tip your seesaw in the other direction. And now you are back in awake territory. And so what we will then often do is one, we stress a lot and worry a lot about the fact that we're not sleeping. And all that does is it boosts our wake drive even more. We then will also often, because we're so worried about the fact that we're not sleeping, we try to make up for that sleep loss by sleeping in, taking a nap, or going to bed too early. But now what you've done is you've depleted your sleep drive. Come bedtime, your sleep drive is not that high. So now not only are you dealing with all these this arousal that's boosting your wake drive, but now you've also weakened your sleep drive. So that makes it even harder to fall asleep. And when we get into this cycle for long enough, you spend enough time awake and worried in bed that your brain starts to associate bed with where you are supposed to be awake and worry. Your brain does this autopilot thing where it's like, oh, I know what we're going to do. We're, we're about to get ready to stay awake and worry in the same way that your mouth might water as soon as you walk into your favorite restaurant because your brain recognizes the place says, oh, I know what's going to happen. We're about to eat some delicious food. So your brain goes into this kind of mental autopilot thing, which is called conditioned arousal. And this is why you might often experience where you're dozing off on the couch and then you kind of speed off to bed and suddenly you're wide awake thinking about, you know, all of these pointless things or some conversation you had or what you're going to be for Halloween in five months or, you know, whatever <laughs> else. That is kind of the calling card for insomnia because that is usually a sign of conditioned arousal. Your brain has now learned that bed is where we stay awake and where we worry. And bed has now become a cue for wakefulness. And so I think the mistake a lot of people make, because this, this problem that I just described is so common. And I think the mistake we often make is when we follow these listicle of sleep tips that address everything from the room temperature to the tea you should drink before bed to, you know, all of these other things, swearing off screen time and whatnot. None of these things address that problem. And until you address, if that is what's keeping you awake, until you adjust that address that problem, you are going to continue to have sleep issues. And unfortunately, trying all of these other things often ex involves a lot of effort. The effort only boosts your wake drive even more because now you're telling your brain to go to work instead of telling it to go to sleep. And it starts to frustrate us because we're trying so hard. We're doing all of these things to try to sleep. And then we still are wide awake when we lay in bed. And that makes us feel really frustrated. It makes us feel really broken. And all of those feelings fuel our wake drive and make it even harder for us to sleep. So I was trapped in this cycle for so long. And, and I really wanted to unpack this for people in this book so they could understand the mechanisms behind what it is that's keeping them awake so they can find the best solutions to help them sleep. Because the same solution for me is not going to be the same solution for you and not necessarily the same solution for the next person, because we may have all different things that are keeping us awake. And those are just two main things that I singled out for you in that, in that explanation. But there are many more in the book, as you know, and each thing will have its own unique solution. And once you learn more about what's keeping you awake, and your lifestyle and your needs, you can then start to tailor these solutions to fit into your life. Mm, yes. Yeah. I am all about, you know, finding individual solutions, right? Because we are so different. And so much of this makes sense to me too, because I'm definitely that type of person who I don't, I do not nap. Like I do not nap because if I take a nap, then I wake up feeling like, oh, like I'm just not a great person to be around. It doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I cannot sleep at night. I, I, my, it just, depletes my sleep drive to the extent where like if I take a nap during the day, which happens very, very rarely if I do decide to, um, generally probably only if I'm sick, um, but then I still can't get to sleep at night. Um, and so where, where my husband sort of feels, he feels good taking a nap in the middle of the day and then he's kind of, I mean, he still has sleep issues, but he's generally fine going to bed at night. And so we are so, we are so individual. It's so fascinating. So something I wanted to dig into a little bit more that you talk, you've talked about a couple of times 
um, in our conversation today and that you talk about in the book. And that is our natural tendency to be early birds versus night owls. Like I mentioned, Mm -hmm. I am an early bird. My husband is a night owl. And you actually talk about three types. You talk about the early bird, the hummingbird, which I had not heard before, and the night owl. So I'm kind of, I'm wondering how can we use this natural tendency? I know you mentioned that you're a night owl. How can we use this to our advantage when it comes to improving our sleep, if this might be an issue for us? Um, And what happens if it is impossible (laughs) to kind of work around this, or it feels impossible to work around this when you're a mom? Well, I think that that's the key because, you know, one of the reasons why everyone says quit your job if it's, you know, if if you're a night shift worker is because of your circadian rhythm differences. Um, and I, and I circadian rhythm is often thought of as this kind of insurmountable obstacle. But again, when we travel, we do eventually adjust to jet lag because of all of the time cues we are now getting in our new environment. Most powerful among them is light and dark, but also what time we eat what time we wake up, what time we sleep, what time we exercise. Uh, And so we can use all of those things to kind of trick our body into thinking we changed our schedule if we can't actually change our schedule to suit our circadian rhythm, which is the ideal. If you can just shift your schedule, if you don't have to wake up early and you're a natural night owl, then stop trying to work out at 5 a.m. You know, you can do your workouts later in the day. You don't have to pack everything in in the morning. And the same, you know, if you were an early bird, you don't have to feel obligated to stay up late to do certain things. Try to make your schedule adjust your circadian rhythm as much as possible. But as we all know, you know, it's not always realistic for us to live and work and sleep in accordance with our circadian rhythm. So there are things you can do to kind of trick your body into thinking that you are sleeping in accordance with the circadian rhythm. And this can work wonders. And so I'll take your example because you and your husband, I think like so many couples out there are mismatched. You want to be able to spend time together, but you both want to be able to sleep. And so, you know, and this is where rather than just give people a book full of, here's a list of what to do. I wanted to give people the mechanisms to understand why this is happening and why the solution works. So then you can decide what's best for you because you could decide to kind of shift your circadian rhythm, so to speak, later. So you are closer matched to your husband, but you also like your early mornings and you like that morning time to yourself, you said. Your husband could choose to try to make himself a little bit more morning oriented to, to meet you, but maybe he, a night owl schedule suits him more. So, so you guys could also both try to shift a little bit to make yourself a little more late oriented and make him a little bit more morning oriented. And so one key way you can do this is with light. Um, I think we often think about screen times and living in a cave at night, but you don't have to do that. The key is to get enough contrast between the amount of light you're getting during the day and the amount of light you're getting in the hours as you prepare for sleep. And so if you expose yourself to bright light in the morning, As soon as you wake up, that will help to make you more morning oriented because your body clock starts to sink to that and say, oh, that's morning time. That's what time I'm supposed to be waking up. And so that can help you not only to start getting wake signals at your wake time, but also you will then start getting sleep signals earlier at night because your body clock now knows since that was morning time, I now know that this is nighttime. On the flip side, if you are have the opposite problem where you wake up too early and you, you start to feel sleepy really early, you can use that bright light in the evenings. And so I like to use it again, because I'm a morning person, uh, because I'm a night owl. I use this in the morning when I'm getting ready for, for work. I have a light therapy lamp in my bathroom and because I don't have, you know, time to sunbathe for 30 minutes, which is what the ideal is to get sun bright sunshine for 30 minutes every day. I just put it on in my bathroom and it's on when I'm doing my makeup, when I'm getting ready, when I'm brushing my teeth. And that helps me as a night owl continue to wake up every morning at six or six 30. Uh, and without, without any problems. And I now start feeling sleepy much earlier at night than I used to. Uh, on the flip side, if you are a more morning oriented person, you could try doing this in the evening instead. And instead of, you know, you could, you could either have a kind of a light therapy lamp, um, next to you as you're doing, as you're making dinner or as you're doing evening work or whatever else it is, um, that maybe is, 
driving you to, to feel sleepy at that time, exposing yourself to bright light will help to wake you up, which is why the interesting part about the whole conversation about screens is again, not one size fits all, because for some of us actually getting that light at night can be really helpful to keep us up a little bit later and let us sleep a little bit longer. Um, and, and, other things like what time you exercise again, your meal timing and so on, all of that can factor in. But I also find, um, this isn't, you know, in your case, it's not just about wanting to sleep. It's also about wanting to have time with your partner. And so I think when people are mismatched in this way, we often will all go, we feel obligated to go to bed with our partner at the same time, just because we think that's what we're supposed to do. And then either at least one of us, if not both of us are going to bed at not the right time for our body clock. And that can create sleep issues on both ends of the equation. So a kind of really practical tip, if you guys don't want to change your schedule, comes from uh, Dr. Jason Ellis. And I put this in my book, which is just to have a cuddle time. You can both go to bed at whatever time suits you the best, since you're the early bird. Or maybe again, you guys want to meet in the middle somewhere and your husband can come with you and you guys can just have, let's say 15 minutes of cuddle time. And the key is for your husband he has to know that this is not time for him to sleep because that may frustrate him then when he's not able to. This is just time for you guys to enjoy some time together in bed and some closeness. And after that 15 minute, 20 minute period, whatever you guys want to make it, then he can get up again and come out and you know stay up later and do his thing until it's his biological time to go to bed. And this way you still have that closeness as a couple, but you don't have to jeopardize each other's sleep in order for one of you to be well-rested. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I'm going to talk to my husband about this tonight because yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be so helpful. He is constantly trying to figure out how he can wake up just a little bit earlier. Um, he's not a shift worker, but he also, uh, he's a professional sailor. So mm -hmm. when he goes away several times a year, they do distance races where he does have to be up at like odd hours, sometimes almost the entire night with just a couple pockets of sleep. And that really messes with his, his sleep as well. And his, you know, his personal rhythms. And so he, he does have a lot of, you know, issues sleeping and he's trying to, he's always trying to wake up a little bit earlier. So I think the light in the morning would be helpful for him, but even so he's still going to wake up a couple hours later than me and want to go to bed later. So that kind of meeting in the middle, I think is because I don't think I'm giving up my early mornings. <laughs> well, you know, and that's the thing as a couple, you can have that conversation and decide what's going to be best for us, for me to shift later, for you to shift, you know, earlier or mm -hmm. for neither of us to do those things and us to just find compromises like having a cuddle time where we can still have that closeness that we want as a couple. Uh, and you guys can find the best solution for you. But I do think he will find a huge payoff in having a light therapy lamp in the bathroom. And he can use it while he's shaving, while he, you know, whatever it is that he's doing in the morning, if he's reading the paper, you know, what having his cup of coffee it doesn't have to be in the bathroom. That's just where I find I get the most bang for my buck, but you know, wherever you can put it so that you are, this light is hitting your eyes. You're not, you don't have to stare at it, but the light is hitting your eyes for ideally 30 minutes, first thing in the morning when you wake up and that's That will really help him a lot. And then managing his light intake at night, not don't have to live in a cave. You don't have to give up all screens, but just, you know, pay attention. If you're turning on every light in the house and they're all on full bright when they don't have to be dim them a bit, turn them off when you're watching TV, you know, that kind of thing. Turn on the blue light filter of your screens, turn on the, you know, turn down the brightness all the way down on your screens and little things like that can really help to mitigate the light intake at night. And again, just help to establish more of that contrast between bright light in the morning and little to no light at night. So our body clock knows exactly where to sink to. And it can work wonders because so many of us, we go from what would scientifically be considered dim light in the morning we drive to work, we're exposed to dim light in the office, we drive back home, and then we're exposed to dim light again in our house. And our bodies don't have any natural way of telling the difference between when we're supposed to be awake and when we're supposed to be asleep. And that makes it really hard to get that nice, strong wake signal in the morning and nice, strong sleep signals at night. Mm, yes. Yeah. I think this is going to be so helpful for moms who are adjusting to having kiddos who are in school and have to wake up earlier too. Because for me, that's not, it's the morning times aren't a big deal getting them off to school because I'm awake and I'm ready to go. But then, sure, you know, my husband on the other end. <laughs> and I'm sure we have, we have moms listening who are in the opposite than I am and are those night owls and do need that little boost in the morning. So, yeah, I really like that. So, 
I, I really love one of the things I love the most about your book is that you're really passionate about these like practicals and, and individualized, I should say, individualized and also practical solutions to sleep issues. I know you talked about like when you started exploring fixing your own sleep issues, you didn't want to live a life of deprivation where you could never eat or drink the things you want to. You had to quit your job. You could never do the things you want to. And I think a lot of these are the messages that we hear around sleep. So we've talked a lot about individual approaches if we have sleep issues, but I'm wondering kind of for the woman listening, who's like, okay, so where do I start? Maybe I have identified that I think I have a sleep issue. Maybe it is more of a circadian rhythm issue. Maybe it's more of a sleep drive issue. I guess, where do they, what is your first action step for them to get started when it comes to getting better sleep? I mean, I think the first action step is to, is to do a little bit of a dive and, and figure out what it is that's keeping you awake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate to be that person that's all, oh, read my book. But the, you know, <laughs> chapter one of the book is identify the problem. And I started yeah. there for a reason because it is so important, I think, to first identify what your problem or usually problems are before you get into what solutions am I going to try? Because if, if, you, if you spin your wheels a lot, it works in reverse. Mm-hmm. You, you actually, a lot of these things can backfire on you. And so I want people to get the most bang for their buck when they get started. And so that's going to mean pinpointing what it is that's keeping you awake. And again, there are lots of techniques in the book to do this and a short synopsis of common sleep disorders that are often mistaken for insomnia and that people mm-hmm. often just dismiss as, oh, that's just how I'm built. And so I think a lot of moment, a lot of people, when they're reading that first chapter will have, have kind of an aha moment where they realize, mm-hmm. oh, wait. This restless leg syndrome thing, that's me. Even though maybe you thought before reading that restless leg syndrome is this really rare, bizarre thing that nobody has. It's very, very, very common. I have it. And I didn't know until I I started doing research for this book. My mother has it. And she didn't know until she read the first draft of the book. Um, And so a lot of us may have these aha moments where we realize our sleep problems are not what we thought they were. And so the solutions are not what we thought they would be. Um, And one sort of very, very, very introductory way of doing this um, is to ask yourself what changed between when I slept well and now. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this isn't going to encompass all of the things, but it is a helpful place to start because, for example, if you realize that you slept well before your work schedule changed, then you that's a good indication of a circadian rhythm issue, that that's at least part of your problem. Or if you sleep great on weekends when you can do it later or on your schedule, but you have a really hard time during the week, that's also an indication that it's circadian rhythm. Uh, on the flip side, if you you know read the description of conditioned arousal and you realize, oh, I'm that person that's always dozing on the couch. And then the second I hit bed, I'm always wide awake and I can't sleep because I feel like I can't turn off my brain. It's just going at a mile a minute. Then that is more indicative of insomnia. And so there's a different set of solutions for that. If you snore or if you wake up a lot throughout the night, a lot of people assume they have insomnia. And that is a kind of insomnia where you wake up throughout the night. But there's also research to show that a lot of people who think they have insomnia waking up in the middle of the night actually have a form of sleep apnea. And they just don't realize that it's their breathing that's causing those wake-ups. And then it's the insomnia that's keeping them from falling back asleep. And so you'll have to address both of those problems if you want to sleep well again. Um, and I think there's also, you know, a lot of misconceptions out there about, for example, insomnia, that, that um, sleep apnea, for example, only affects older, overweight men. So there are tons of women out there who go to their doctors with all these problems. and Their doctors don't recognize them as symptoms of sleep apnea because they're not your typical red flags that often present in male patients. And they don't think that women have sleep apnea, uh, particularly if you're thin. And that could not be further from the truth. So, um, so yeah, so I think getting familiarized with what some of these common sleep disorders are, some of the misconceptions about them, and then asking yourself a few questions or trying a few of the tests in the book will help to give you an indication of what it is that's keeping you awake. And then you can take it from there and decide what 
are the best solutions you think for you based on what is most effective for that problem and what suits your lifestyle best. So for me, knowing that I was a shift worker and knowing that I, when I read the description of, you know, insomnia and that what I described for you in terms of like the worries about the sleep and then the napping and all that stuff, I was like, oh yeah, that's me. That's totally what I'm doing. And I'm that person who can't shut my brain off when I hit the bed. So I knew that those were my two problems and I had to address them. And eating, your meal times, intermittent fasting, things like that are all ways that you can address circadian rhythm disorder. But I am a foodie. I love food. And when we are sleep deprived, we tend to crave food and bad food at that even more. And I found when I was struggling with insomnia, food was one of my sources of comfort. And so I decided for me, food was not going to be a good starting point. It was going to be too hard for me. I was going to hate it. And I didn't want to stress myself out. Light, however, was easy. And I thought it would be really effective because it's the most powerful circadian tool. And as a shift worker, I clearly was getting light and dark at the wrong times. And so I made some of the changes that I just told you about putting a light, a bright light in my bathroom, wearing sunglasses at the end of my shift when I left, because I didn't have to drive. I commute in the city. And so wearing sunglasses at the end of my day shift to prevent myself from getting bright sunlight when I left the office, little things like that started making a huge difference. And Mm -hmm. I started doing a practice called constructive worry, which is like a worry list in your notebook. Sounds so dumb, but it's so effective to help with those, you know, the, the racing mind when your head hits the pillow mm-hmm. um, and those changes and, it, and adhering to a better sleep schedule where I, I decided on one sleep schedule, even though it wasn't the most convenient for me. And I decided that that was my window of sleep and sort of started following, um, you know, these, these cognitive behavioral therapy techniques for your sleep schedule that are detailed in the book and the combination of those three things gave me such a big payoff in a couple of weeks that that then fueled this momentum because just as bad sleep can sometimes fuel bad sleep, which makes you feel down, make you feel like you're falling down this sleepless black hole. If you pull on the right thread, the opposite happens. Better sleep starts to beget better sleep, both because of biological changes that happen in our body. Once we start to get better sleep, our circulation, for example, can improve and improved circulation can help you sleep better. And that list goes on and on and on the same for your sleep confidence. A lot of insomnia is perpetuated by a loss of sleep confidence, which is just the confidence of knowing that you're going to fall asleep when you go to bed. Instead, we go to bed thinking, we're so anxious thinking, oh God, am I going to sleep tonight? Am I going to sleep? Or am I going to wake up? Am I going to have one of those bad nights? I really hope not. And all of that keeps us awake. And so as we start to gain more sleep confidence, we then also start to sleep better, which gives us more sleep confidence, which helps us sleep better. And all of these things start working and the spiral starts spinning in the right direction. And so that's why I think it's so important for people to, to kind of take a little time in the beginning of this process to really think about what is keeping them awake and what the best solutions are going to be for them so that they can start things off on the right note and feel like they're being, you know, getting the payoff in the beginning. And then you can move on to things to kind of refine around the edges. If then you want to pay attention to your caffeine intake or the lavender oil on your pillow or what tea you want to drink before bed or taking a nice bath or whatever it is, then great. But if those aren't the things that are causing your problem, if you don't think that caffeine is the cause of your problem, then that's probably not the best place to start. If you don't think screens are the cause of your problem, then that's probably not the best place to start. And if you used to watch TV before bed and you used to fall asleep fine, then that's a pretty easy indication that TV was not the problem. So cutting all screens out of your evening is probably not going to be the best place for you to start. Mm, Yeah, no, I think that's so powerful, really taking that time to go, okay, what do I think the issue is? I love that you have so many home tests for some of the different potential issues in your book. Um, I loved the suggestion to like ask your partner what they notice because they probably notice more than we do. Um, You know, whether we're, we might be snoring, whether we might be waking up different times during the night that they notice that we don't, I think you have so many good, um, yeah, you have so many good recommendations for where to start. Even, you know, I think a lot of us think, oh, if you have a sleep issue, then it's just straight to a sleep study, which might be warranted, but there are so many things. That's why you wrote this book. Or there's so many things we can do just by identifying the issue and then moving in the right direction. And I love that you have so many practical solutions and it's, it's not overwhelming. It doesn't feel like we need to do all the things. And it was very powerful for me to realize that a lot of the things that I'd been trying are probably things that are really just sort of, um, not masking, but there are things that feel like things that are um, that I'm going to do to help my sleep, but they're not actually helping my sleep, like the lavender oil and the sleepy tea and things like that. 
because I'm not actually figuring out what the root cause is. Like what, what is my issue? Why am I having trouble sleeping? Uh, and I think the conditioned arousal is definitely something that I struggle with. So, um, yeah. Oh my gosh. So helpful. So powerful. I have one last question. I kind of want to touch on, uh, before we, before we start to wrap up and because we're all about balance here on the healthy balance mama podcast. So, for the moms listening who are in a phase of life, probably not dissimilar to where you are now or where you might have been, you know, the last couple of months. So maybe it's several weeks, maybe it's several months where we're just not getting adequate sleep. We're not getting a full night's sleep. We're woken up several times during the night. What can we do in these instances? How do we do we can we make up for the lost sleep? Should we just focus on sleep quality? Kind of what is your recommendation for sleep when we just it's it's totally off? So I think in the moment, we often, the best thing to do is just kind of accept and not get too caught up in it. You know, as much as we hear about how doomed we are, if we don't get enough sleep, our bodies are meant to withstand short periods of sleep deprivation and scientific studies, as well as anecdotal evidence supports that. So the idea that, oh no, I'm having a bad night. I'm going to be doomed tomorrow. I'm not going to be able to function, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Often we get in our heads about that, but we're, we're going to be okay. Uh, and so try not to get too caught up in that, in that temporary moment, find something relaxing and enjoyable to do. You don't have to bore yourself back to sleep. You don't have to read a manual or anything like that. Um, do something relaxing and enjoyable to go back to sleep. Um, and, and do not stay in bed when you are awake and frustrated. You know, if you can relax and hang out and chill in bed and maybe put in a podcast or or put on an audiobook and that soothes you back to sleep on a sleep timer, that's a nice trick that I like. But if you find that that's not working for you and you're getting frustrated or whatever other techniques you're trying to use to relax in bed aren't working and you're getting frustrated, just get out of bed, do something enjoyable and relaxing, make your worry list, whatever it is that works for you, and go back to bed when you feel sleepy and have confidence in knowing that even if you got less sleep tonight, that's going to make your sleep drive stronger tomorrow. Mm. As long as you don't sort of get in the way by then trying to sleep and nap, go to bed early, et cetera. And that stronger sleep drive is going to help. Your body has this kind of natural recovery method to it, where when you are operating at a sleep debt, your body naturally will put you into deep sleep and REM sleep faster and prioritize that over light sleep. And so you kind of sleep more efficiently and, and it sort of automatically will recover that sleep loss over time, even if you're just sleeping normally and not sleeping more than you used to. Now, some of us will be able to recover lost sleep by sleeping a little bit more. Some of you may be able to nap easily in the middle of the day, and you may be able to take a short nap in the middle of the day and not have that interfere with your nighttime sleep. Great. Go for it. Same with if you sleep in a little bit, maybe by 45 minutes and you find that doesn't interfere with your ability to fall asleep at night. Or if you feel actually sleepy earlier than your usual bedtime and you go to sleep at that earlier time and it doesn't interfere with, you know, it doesn't then make you wake up earlier, wake up in the middle of the night, then great, go for it. But if any of these things do interfere with your sleep, like you're saying you do, if you try to take a nap in the middle of the day, it's then harder for you to sleep at night then don't get all caught up in trying to make up for that sleep loss. Just try to get back on your normal schedule as soon as possible and let your body do its thing because we do have that ability to automatically recover that lost sleep if we just let our body fall asleep naturally and wake up naturally when it wants to. Oh, that's so helpful. I really love this this concept of sleep confidence because I never thought of it like that before. And I know that there are times in my life where I've gotten so frustrated with having some sleep issues and trying all the things, um, but not really getting to the root cause like I've learned from you. And just being able to take those small steps to learn that our bodies are, they're on our side. They're trying to do <laughs> what they're supposed to do. They want to get to sleep and just figuring out what works and allowing our bodies to do what they do and knowing that these short-term periods of time, they might just happen um, and that's okay. And we just need to, you know, continue on and let our bodies do what they're supposed to do. It's that's, yeah, it's really helpful. I appreciate that so much. So I have 
some fun little rapid fire questions. I love to ask all my guests at the very end, especially when we're talking about something like I found that I find this so fascinating. I know my listeners are going to love this, but something like sort of serious, like lack of sleep. <laughs> it's fun yeah. to do some fun kind of, um, I, I don't know, not icebreakers. That's at the beginning, some rapid fire questions at the end. Um, but sure. before we, before we get to those, I do want you to share where my listeners can connect with you. Um, where they can get your book, because I know they're going to be running out to get it after this conversation. So the book is sold pretty much anywhere you buy books. So your local bookstore should have it. The airports will have it. Um, but of course, you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on barnesandnoble.com and, and any other kind of standard book retailer. So book is widely available and you can find uh, more info on it at sleepfixbook.com. Um, the name of the book is The Sleep Fix. Um, and you can find me on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Diane R. Macedo. Um, that's M A C E D O. So Diane R. Macedo. And I just joined TikTok. Um, and I am the Diane Macedo uh, on TikTok. So there's, a, there's some fun sleep content on all of those um, pages as well. Um, and I do just want to also make clear that. This book is not aimed to replace, you know, a sleep study if you need one or, or attention by a sleep specialist. Um, but it's more that sleep, unfortunately, we are still in a place where sleep specialists can be hard to find in some areas, particularly sleep specialists who specialize in things like insomnia and circadian rhythm issues and restless leg syndrome and things that aren't sleep apnea, which is a much more straightforward sleep disorder than some of the others. Um, and so I wanted to provide this as a supplement so that people, when they go to their primary care physicians who generally don't know a ton about sleep, they are equipped with the right questions to ask their doctors. And so they can be referred to the right kind of sleep specialist if they do need to be seen by a sleep specialist. And they know the right questions to ask if they do need to go for a sleep study, for example, because even people who sometimes get medical, you know, seek medical help which is so sad. You finally take the effort to go and ask your doctor about these problems and they get pushed in the wrong direction. Uh, and so the, the book is aimed as more of a supplement to that care in addition to providing DIY solutions for those problems that can be solved at home. Um, it's, it's meant to be a good aid for those who do need medical care to go ahead and get it and just make sure they're asking the right questions and they're sent in the right direction. Mm, yeah. Thank you so much for that clarification as well that, you know, sometimes we do, we do need that. We do need that help. We do need that sleep study. We do not need that sleep specialist, but I definitely think your book will, will push the, the listener or the reader in the right direction. So yeah, I definitely, I appreciate the work that you've done. Um, so if you have a minute, I think it'd be fun to do some of these little rapid fire questions and then I'll send you on your way. I know you have a sleeping baby at your house. All right. Hit me. All right. Rapid fire. So as quick as you want to. <laughs> First one is coffee or tea. Oh, I wish I could drink coffee, but it kills my stomach. So tea. Podcast or book? Tie. I love them both. Can Me I do too. that? <laughs> yes. That's my answer too. <laughs> what did you eat for breakfast this morning? Um, I had a spinach, banana, peanut butter shake and, uh, my three-year-old's leftovers. <laughs> I love it. I'm a huge smoothie person too. So, and uh, what is your first choice when ordering takeout, especially because you said you're a foodie? Oh, it totally depends on the day. <laughs> it, yeah. I don't, I don't have one answer for that, but my guilty pleasures are Domino's and McDonald's. I love it. <laughs> okay. Early bird. I normally say early bird or night owl, but early bird hummingbird or night owl. Oh, I am a night owl and hummingbird just means, I mean, the whole thing is a spectrum. So these labels are just to give you an idea of where you land. And for readers who are confused, hummingbird just means you're in the middle. You're neither an early bird nor a night owl, but yes, me definitely night owl by nature. I love it. And last but not least, because this is the Healthy Balance Mama podcast, and we love to talk about balance in every area. What does balance mean to you in this season? Oh, this is something I really struggle with all the time. And I'm always checking in with myself to, to kind of try to get it right. Um, Cause I'm trying to do everything and often feel like I'm falling short in everything. So I think one of my sort of new year's resolutions, so to speak, is to 
be better at asking for the help that I need and not feel like I have to be the one to do everything. And in some cases, maybe even invest in the help I need. And I think we often only think of that as moms in terms of childcare. But I, for example, want to look into making more of an effort to invest in help I need in other areas Mm -hmm. so that I can have more time with my kids. Because right now I feel is a time when they when they really need me. And, and that seems to be what my gut is telling me, that I need to figure out a way to do all the things that I still love and be true to myself too. But maybe rather than hiring more childcare to make more time for myself, I can find other places where I can find help so that I can have more time with my kids instead. Mm, oh, I love that. Such a good reminder for the mom listening to that. It's where you need the help, where you want to put your time, where you want to put your energy. And there's nothing wrong with asking for help in whatever area. Oh my gosh, Diane, this was so great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to be on and chat with me. And thank you so much for your book and the work you do. I appreciate it so much. And I know my listeners will too. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope you guys all enjoy reading The Sleep Fix and I hope it does for you what it did for me because I really wrote it so that other people don't have to struggle the way that I did. And and I just want all the mamas out there to know that we deserve to be well-rested and we deserve that sleep just as much as everybody else does, if not more. So let's do it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.